Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the post Fremantle episode of the Bombercast for this year. I am your host, Ponsor34, and we're joined not by the Grizz as normal, but I think we're joined by Angry Grizz tonight. Um, can you confirm, Grizz, are you, are you your normal calm self, or are you a little bit more fired up after today's pathetic effort by the Bombers? Uh, the Grizz died. I have taken his place. Um, I killed him in my anger. Um, no, it, yeah, that that wasn't... Um, this isn't a, a post-game podcast. This is a post-mortem. Um, this is hot garbage was what today was. But yeah, just... Well, normally I, I love jumping on the pod, but man, I'm a bit flat at the moment. That was horrific. Just that second half. Like, the first half, I had a bit of hope. I thought, oh, we're hanging in here. Fremantle's a really good defensive team. We're, we're seeing to, to shut them down really well out of contest, but that second half was just horrendous. Just horrific. All right, so so I'm going to jump straight in, and I'm going to start with an area that I think you're probably going to want to fire up about as well, and and that is our midfield defensive pressure because it is just oh boy. flat out not good enough at the moment. Now, I'm looking at the overall stats here today. They had much more of the balls. They had 36 more disposals than we did, which you go, okay, so they were, they were first the ball. That's fine, you know, defense... We had 37 tackles. They had 49. They out-tackled us and out-disposed of us throughout the game today. Now, you know, you don't want to you don't want to look at it and go, "Geez, it was put it down to, to one 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 player, two players, or anything like that." But I think you need to really do start in the midfield, and that is, you know, you look at Darcy Parish who laid two tackles for the game today. You look at Joe Caldwell, one tackle. Uh, Andrew McGrath, one tackle. Dylan Shield, one tackle. You know, these guys are meant to be leading our midfield and they are showing absolutely nothing when the ball is going the other way. Zach Merrick gets a lot of a, a lot of heat for being a one-way runner, but fuck me, dude, if these blokes don't make him look like the best two, two-way player in the game at the moment because their effort today was just flat-out pathetic. There was no interest at all in giving any sort of relief to our defenders. And Fremantle's midfield just strolled in time and time again. It was pathetic. You and I were pretty phlegmatic, I think, in, in melancholy to start the season um, when we thought we weren't going to go that well. Like, the Geelong game was a bit of an... We all thought... No, I tell you that, it wasn't an an aberration. We thought it was an aberration. I don't like saying this very often about professionals point teams, but we turned our toes up in that second half today, which is a horrendous charge to throw at professional athletes. But our midfield was horrendous. You know, at one point we were leading clearances and center clear we were leading center clearances six to two. I think at the end of the first half, it was like seven to four or something. They finished 15 to 11, which meant they won the center clearances 11 to four in the second half. You know, the, the tackles is one thing, but yeah, look, for me, it's not even the, t- like the tackles are bad. Cause that just means we're not putting our body on the contest. It was the speed and the ease in which they were walking through the middle of the ground. You could see our midfielders just not even trying to look for their opponent to turn around and get back into defensive position. They didn't lay tackles bonds because they weren't given enough of a stuff to get close enough to someone to tackle. It was absolutely horrendous. Look, look, there were some sort of 50-50 calls with the umpires that went against us in that third quarter, and I get that. But our discipline was horrendous. Darcy Parrish giving away that 50, or that free kick for abuse that resulted in a tab and a goal on the goalpost 
just, you know, that's, you know, if that was Dev Smith, we'd be dropping him. But Darcy Parish, oh, well, you know, whatever. Like, it's, it was horrendous. I've never been more disappointed with the defensive efforts of our team than that second half. That You know, I'm, I'm all for, um, Andy McGrath's biggest fan. He turned his toes up with a lot of them. Dylan Shield, you know, if he wasn't wearing the clearance, he was a non-factor on the spread. Parrish got plenty of the ball, but a lot of it was cheap stuff, really cheap possession. And, you know, I just, I, I could not be more disappointed with our midfield today. It was absolutely horrendous. I, I don't even know where to start. Like if we had done this podcast two hours ago, I'm probably throwing this microphone through my computer screen. It was unbelievably poor. I think one of the places we have to start is, is something that you mentioned there. And that is the fact that, that once the clearances were over, and midfield didn't spread at all. Even if we even if we had the ball in our oh. back fifty and they were running out of the back fifty, our midfield didn't spread. It was pointed out Jared Healy, Jared Healy said on the Fox Footy telecast that at one stage there the Fremantle players literally were just lining up across the middle, holding their width, because our players were all sort of grouped together in the middle. They they just did not try and run into space. There was no hard run to get to the ball. There was just a complete lack of effort. Now, last week, Truck came out and said, oh, the flu went through the club. And, you know, so we could excuse some of the poor efforts we saw last nah. week. But that, you, you can't use that excuse again. You know, you can't say, oh, yeah, we were sick last week. And, oh, yeah, we were, gay. we were sick this week. Last week, we got away with it because Adelaide didn't torture us on the rebound the, the same way Fremantle did today. And you, you're essentially what you said about Dylan Shields sort of applies to everybody else. Once the ball came out of the clearance, the midfield was nowhere to be seen. So we might have won a, a clearance here or there. But even when we did, there was that stage early in that third quarter. And I don't, I'm not trying to single him out here, but... We got a quick clearance. Matt Guelph, he took, took the mark about 60 metres from goal. And then he stopped. He waited. He paused. And by the time he kicked the ball, Sean Darcy, who had been in the ruck contest, got down into our forward 50, took a mark, played on, and kicked it straight back over his head. When you get a quick clearance out of the, the centre, you don't then pause long enough for the opposition ruckman to be able to get onto the end of your kick you need to be able to go quicker now whether or not he goes quicker and he turns it over so be it that might happen but at least show some intent the reality was as soon as he did something like that and and i'll admit i only listened to the third quarter on the radio but as soon as i heard he was doing that my head just exploded and i thought these guys just aren't up for it today you get the ball you you take a mark 60 meters out you don't pause and wait you turn you wheel and you go and you get it in there as quick as possible especially in today's game i know the play you're thinking of and i'm not going to hang wealthy on that one because watching it the the clearance was a wide one so he basically caught it on the 50 like on the five zero on the 50 and by that time guess what bonds three free man or midfielders had gut run back into defense they clogged up the corridor and there are our midfield lining up in the center of the ground looking for a cheap kick on the cross. Yeah. And Guelphie's looking forward. No, I just let me Guelphie's looking forward, trying to find something to hit up. And the entire corridor is chocked with free and midfielders. So he tries to kick it to right. And the kick look, the kick was a bad kick. Didn't have any height on it. Darcy just jumped in front and marked it. But yeah, look, we just and this is probably something I'm going to rant about later. I've got a few rants in me today, Bonds. But our team selection, I, I don't understand it. I genuinely don't understand it at this point. Um, as soon as Phillips went down in that first quarter, we looked absolutely short of target up forward. And I, I just, I don't understand why we haven't got another key forward up there. I don't. But 
that was the least of our problems. We just couldn't win enough football in that second half. We didn't want enough. And, you know, Truck doesn't say much at press conferences, but I watched it before the podcast. And he did say this. He said, look, Fremantle up the ante. They're up the pressure about the speed of the contest and there was an arm wrestle to join and we just didn't join it and we just sort of let them go about the merry way and that's that's probably as hard as i've heard truck go and if your coach is saying look they up the ante we had to match them and we just didn't and that's really disappointing that's about as hard as you're going to get from your coach publicly and i thought you know i would have gone harder I, like i'm at the point now where if you said to me we're going to drop any two and when i say to any two i mean any to a parish Caldwell Shield or McGrath, just to make a point and then bring in Hobbs and Perkins, I wouldn't blink. Whatever. I'm I'm completely fine. Just to say if you're not going to work defensively and you're going to let opposition teams just waltz through the middle of the field and not even turn to look to see where your opponent is, bad luck. Because our defense looked second rate. But it looks second rate because the ball was coming in with that much speed and heat that you could have had the 07 catch back there and they weren't stopping it. I will just quickly, on the Guelphy one, I, I, I get what you're saying about the, the midfield spread spread back. But if you're going to kick to a contest, kick to a contest with a midfielder who's pushed back, not wait for the opposition ruckman to get back and then kick to the sure. contest anyway. Okay. It's a little Fair bit enough. it's a little bit silly. But, but we will talk about team selection because it is something that we've said multiple times before. And, and you're right, Phillip's going down certainly did throw it out it, it did lose that second target but it, but regardless draper and phillips aren't forward targets i know there's still a lot of love for draper on on the um Essendon big footy board and, and people don't like us talking negatively about him but he's not a key forward at the moment i just don't understand this obsession with the he's, bloke. Not, he, he's not a ruckman he's not a ruckman at the moment let's be really clear he's Absolutely sure of Gallup at the moment, Sam Draper. Sorry, continue going. So, so you know, the thing is, the same with, with Phillips, who tries his guts out, which I think Sammy could learn a lot from in terms of trying his heart out. Because Phillips is a limited player, but he, he plays at his limit the whole time, I think, anyway. I think he's one of, the, one of those blokes who just comes in and gives his all regardless. But the problem is neither of them are forwards. And, and so yeah. when you've got Peter Wright, if, if he's not clunky marks, and today he was half a metre off and you can blame the delivery, which admittedly was poor, but at the same time, he, you know, he's got to be able to judge that as well. He, he can't always have that. If he doesn't always have that clean run and jump, he needs to be able to stop prop and hold his ground. The problem is, which is something that we've mentioned time and time again, is Peter Wright is not a, is not a number one key position forward. He's a very good number two key position forward who, when he's on, can play that number one role. But today, when he's not on, today, when the midfield's not on, it clearly showed we are lacking a gun key position forward to take control of the game and to just drag us back in when we need it. And I'm not talking about necessarily kicking goals because, you know, I mean, I don't know if you watched the Carlton Port Adelaide game, but but I watched Harry McKay today and he missed a couple of sitters. But late in the game, he got on his bike, he got up the ground, he took some big contested marks. And I don't see anyone on our list at the moment that is able to just decide, okay, I'm going to take control of the game now outside of a 21, 22-year-old Harold is Harrison Jones. And let's be honest, he's not going to do it every week because he's young, he's still developing. But I'll tell you what, after watching him in the VFL today and then watching our AFL side, if he does not come in for Collingwood, I have just got no idea what truck is seeing from the coach's yeah. box. Look, with Peter Wright, he's, as soon as Phillips went down, you could see Fremantle shifted their defence. So... They went from basically playing back shoulder on him to the centre half back. I think it was Hamling, who was basically playing on... It was Hamling or Brennan Cox. I can't... Hamling might not be playing. I think it was Brennan Cox. Basically dropped off Waterman as soon as the ball left 
the center clearance. He was dropping off Waterman and they were sandwiching right at every, every opportunity. And they're doing that because there wasn't another key forward there to draw the attention of Fremantle's key defenders. And when you go in with Phillips slash Draper as your second forward next to Peter Wright, and one of them goes down and one of them's unavailable, it is literally a right one out. And I, you could be Wayne Carey and you're not beating three, four guys consistently. And like, I'm not saying he's that level. What I'm saying is Peter Wright had his best when he was 1v1 getting a run at the football. He wasn't able to get that today. He was getting 1v2 with a guy blocking his run. And he's not good enough to overcome that. And we've spoken about that. He's not that level of forward. Harry Jones, well, he looks he looked fantastic. I mean, it was v, it was VFL, so yeah, so, yeah. So, and I don't think are in any denial that it was VFL. So I don't yeah. expect him to come in and dominate the same way he did. No, but but what he is is someone that flies at the football in a way which draws the attention of opposition defenses. So if you're Brennan Cox, you can't drop off Jones like you do Waterman, like you do Smith, like you do any other guys he was lining up on. Archie Perkins, for example. You can't drop off him in the air, Harry Jones in the air like you do with those guys, to go peel off on Peter Wright. Because if that means someone switches onto Harry Jones and he's got the height advantage, good luck. But my my thing with Harry Jones is, you know, it's his first game back. He only played about 60% game time. Big step up to playing a full game of AFL. I know it's an ankle, so it's not like he's coming back from a soft tissue injury, but that's how you do a soft tissue injury. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, for me, the people who were receiving the entries inside 50, Waterman kicked a couple of nice goals, but he's not a key forward. He's, you know, a third, fourth, fifth type forward. It was the midfield. Our midfield was horrendous today. And uh, our defense looked poor because there was no pressure coming on the footy. The commentator said it ad nauseum. Free metal forwards were getting whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. Yeah, they kicked four goals, three from free kicks. But you know what? That's because our defenders were under pressure and they gave away free kicks because they, it was the only thing they could do. The ball's coming in at a thousand miles per hour as often as it was. They're going to give away free kicks. I mean, like, and, and I'm at a point now where what, we're one and four. We've got Collingwood next week. We might win that. But then after that, it's a Bulldog, Sydney, and then Hawthorne, I think. Or, or I might have got those games wrong. It might be Bulldogs, Hawthorne, Sydney. We might win one or two of those, and we might be okay. We're two and six instead of one and four. But yeah, I don't know. I have a question for you. Watching the VFL today, I really liked Cody Brand. I thought he didn't intercept all that much, but his 1v1 defending, his closing speed, ability to get a fist in was pretty good. And so I'm sitting there going, if we're not making the finals this year, how much worse is Brand or McBride or Reed going to do than Zerk Thatcher? Like, that makes sense. Like, I just don't know at this point. And, you know, Baldwin kicked five today. I would still have Jones ahead of Baldwin, but if we're going to bring in a key forward next week, I don't even know what's happening with Aaron Francis. Like, I've been, I'll I'll let you speak because I've been raving for a while. But, you know, Kane Baldwin was the emergency this week coming off a concussion. Francis kicked three last week and he's not even in the squad. What the hell is happening there? Yeah, I don't think Aaron Francis knows what's going on with Aaron Francis at the moment. And and to be honest, I think I still say we're underutilizing him. I know there's a lot of discussion that his tank's not up to it and and he's he's been disappointing. And look, he has been disappointing. But you know, as you said, he kicked three last week. And then today they were flopping him from end to end. It, the, the bloke's just not getting a settled run. I was so excited for him in the preseason because it looked like they'd finally locked him into a position. But now it doesn't look like that at all. Like Now they, now they look like they've switched him around to the VFL. So the bloke's probably got no idea himself what's going on. 
Do we bring in Cody Brand? I don't see why not. I, I, I look, I do look at today's game and go, well, you know, Laverde got unfortunately taken to the cleaners a little bit. Zerk Thatcher, I, I, I'm still a big fan of Zerk's defensive work, but he just doesn't offer anything the other way. And of course, we did give up eight goals to Tabernar today, which is um, uh, an Essendon special. I think you know, you pick a player, and <laughs> dominate. You know, he's, um, he's one of those guys that just always plays well against us, and then so, he plays next week, and you go, "How the hell did he kick eight? <laughs> I, I said he kicked eight. He actually only kicked seven, so I, I gave oh, it sorry. away. But yeah, I know it makes a, it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> You're 100% correct. I, I suppose the problem we've got now is we drop Zerk for, say, Brand, or, or, or do you drop Laverde? You know, the other thing is, as has been pointed out, is we've just given we've just given Jaden a three-year deal. Now, I don't hate the idea of giving Jaden a, a contract extension. I'm not a big fan of three years because I think three years is, is pretty bloody bold considering that the bloke does have a horrendous run of injuries. I probably would have... Tabana was a bad matchup for Laverde. Like you think uh, yeah. about the you think about the type of forward that Laverde is going to struggle with. It's going to be a forward like Tabner, who's long, got long arms, gets out on the lead. Laverde's always struggled with those sorts of forwards, so it was a terrible matchup for him. But the problem was that Zerk Thatcher didn't have the speed to go with him, so we actually didn't have a matchup for him. And when you tie that with how easily the ball is coming in, he was always going to you know kick a bag. Yeah, and I'm not saying at all that you know we don't give Jaden three years based on what he put out there today because he said it was no, a terrible, absolutely not. It was a terrible yeah, matchup not. for him, and and it was one that he um, was always going to struggle with. But I just look at someone yep. like that and go, you know, three years. It's a long time. Three years is a long time in footy. I mean, three years ago he was going to be our forward savior, and now he's our you know our full back. So yeah. And this is an issue that's outside of today's game. It just it, there's just decisions like that that just have me absolutely puzzled at the moment. So so yeah, I, I, back to your original point of do we bring in Brand? I wouldn't mind seeing Brand at AFL level. Absolutely. Actually, Zach Reed I thought played quite well today as well. Well, yeah, it, it was more a general point. You can you, yeah. could, you substitute Brand for Reed for Baldwin for Jones for Brian instead of Draper, like. I, I, that's a discussion I think we should have at some point is how much longer do we allow Draper to play suboptimal football? He had a really good half against Adelaide last week, but otherwise it hasn't been great. What point does Brian get the chance to knock him off his perch as a number one rocky? Yeah, I mean, the problem with Draper is people will point to his stats and go, oh, he dominated the hitouts. But who's he tapping it to? Because I, I watch the game and you can say it's the mm. midfield's fault for not getting to his feet and not doing the right things, not being in the right spots. But at the same time, some of his taps are absolute garbage. Like he's literally tapping it down the opposition player's throat. And our players aren't even, like, you'll see a setup, you know, you, you get the traditional setup at the set of clearance sometimes where you have the two blokes from each side on, on either side then you have one defensive side from you know both ways and he'll tap it forward straight down the opposition player's throat it just i don't understand why there's this reluctance to put the spotlight on him because he really just hasn't been good enough this year and, and nick bryan i think is going to be a quality afl Ruckman. Yeah. I, I would be hoping that if Andrew Phillips is not playing next week, and let's assume that he's not based on the fact that it looked like a hamstring and he's a big, big yeah. bloke and he's, his age and all that sort of stuff is going to count against him. They'd have to be bringing, looking at bringing in Brian because we cannot go into next week's game with our second Ruckman being Peter Wright because then who do we kick the ball to when he's in the ruck? 
the the other thing I want to say about Draper today, look, oh, let's not get this twisted. You and I are both Sir Draper fans of him long term, but we're talking right at the moment, right? So, well, at least I am. I, I won't speak for you, but Sean Darcy gave him an absolute lesson. Took like took him to school on the work rate required to be an AFL standard ruckman. Like we're clipping our midfielders over the years for not working defensively. Draper got absolutely torched by Sean Darcy multiple times. Absolutely beat him down, you know, from one end to the field to the other. He got forward multiple times and just beat Draper to the space. Like he got a lesson today in what, you know, someone who's a comparable size, Sean Darcy and Sam Draper about the same size. Darcy was just far fitter and had far had a far greater work rate. And yeah, I think we have to bring in Brian. If if we're not going to bring in another key forward, like a Baldwin, like a Jones, like a Francis, and we need to bring in a second ruck and Nick Bryant's the obvious choice there. Yeah, I don't know. There were just so many elements of today which are disappointing. Uh, We've already talked about the midfield. The forward line was just dysfunctional because there was no rhyme or reason in which the ball was coming in. The defence looked shaky because they were consistently under pressure. Well, I wanted to talk to... This is an interesting one I want to talk to you about because of the debate on the board. How did you see Dyson Heppel's game today? I, again, thought Dyson Heppel played all right. I mean, I... I get the um, the the chat is that he gets he gets the cheap touches behind the ball and and all that sort of stuff. He might, but he's been doing it consistently for the last few years. And people keep saying, "Oh, we can just bring someone else in to do it." Nobody's come in and, and taken that role off him yet. Nobody's come in and been able to get thirty touches a game like Dyson still can. So you yep. you can talk about the being cheap touches. You can talk about him being slow. You can talk about all that. At the end of the day, he's still getting to the positions. He's still getting the ball. Now, does that mean that maybe it's an indictment on on the rest of the playing group that someone with his attributes is still one of our key players potentially? But I just don't understand why. After two years, we're still having discussion as to whether or not somebody else can play his role. If somebody else could play his role, they'd have turned up and done it by now. There's been plenty of opportunities for players to do it, and nobody has done it yet. So I still think Dyson Heppel, again today, was one of our better players. And I think he still is one of our better players. And, and, and as I said, whether whether or not that means that we need to have a discussion as to the rest of the playing group and whether or not they're good enough... That's an entirely different story to whether or not Dyson Heppel is still, you know, still able to hold his spot in the side. And, and I don't think there's any question at the moment that Dyson Heppel deserves to be playing AFL football because there is literally nobody knocking the door down to, to take that mantle from him. I would go a step further than that. I, I don't actually think people understand the role he's got in the team. He, he gets a lot of touches at the back, but that's because he's one of the few players in our team that actually know where he's meant to actually be fucking standing. Like... Let's be really clear. He gets a lot of touches because he knows where his spot is in the zone. He knows he's that, he's that second layer. He reads the ball well in flight. So when the ball arrives, he's always there as a second or third player to the contest. And that's how he gets his disposals. 2v1s, handballs, create space, that sort of stuff. And it looks cheap, but it's not because it shows that he actually understands what it means to stand in his spot to read the ball, get to the forward ball. His disposal was really good today. And yeah, do you know what? He might get torched defensively against the guys like Fredericks and against guys like Banfield 1v1. But do you want know every team carries those guys? 
You watch Daniel Rich defend the Brisbane. His teammates are consistently folding over, handing over to his opponents because he provides them something offensively. Now, Heppel isn't the offensive player Daniel Rich is, right? But what he does, and this is the thing that I think is irreplaceable, and I, I mean that in every literal sense of the word for us, is that when you watch him behind the play, he is the only guy, and I mean this, the only guy vocalizing to his teammates about where they're meant to be. He's pointing to opponents. He's picking people up. He's trying to set the zone up. There's no one else doing that at the moment, right? Jordan Ridley is too introverted to do it. Jane Laverde is flat out still trying to learn to be a defender. Redmond and Hind are too far up the field half the time. He's the only guy back there, it seems, who knows what's meant to be happening. You take him out, we would look even more shambolic behind the football than we do at the moment. And so until someone magically is able to develop the respect he has in the group, is able to understand the zone at the competent level to actively participate in it appropriately and point out to others where they're meant to be and then take his spot in the team, I'll wait here for that. But I haven't seen the player willing to do that at the moment. And so it looks like he gets cheap touches, but that's because he's the only guy doing his job in the zone, folding over when he's meant to be, creating overlap. And yeah, he might get burnt one-on-one from time to time, but I'd rather that guy be in my team than a guy who doesn't know what he's doing, who might be a little bit faster. Is he a top 10, top five player in our team at the moment? No. But I don't think he's anywhere near as droppable or as culpable for the results as people seem to think he is. One more thing before we move forward to the Collingwood game next week. Quick question to you. Were you disappointed today in the way that the truck coached? I must admit, at the start of the last quarter, when we got smashed and we were clearly going to lose the game, he didn't change a thing. I mean, Nick Dalsando pointed out in the coverage all our players went and lined up the same way they'd been. They did the same thing, the same, you know, four blokes went into the middle, the same two blokes stood on the wing, the same six went back, the same, you know, there was just no variety. There was no plan B. And I'm not one to say that, you know, we need to start looking at other coaches. I know there's a few people at the moment going, let's get Clarko. And I think we're going a little bit early by throwing the baby out with the bathwater and, mm-hmm. and going after truck. But, you know, his lack of plan B at the moment does seem pretty damning to me. Yeah, so I, I posted this in the thread. And so I might as well say it here. I've been one of his staunchest sort of supporters over the course of last 18 months. But for uh, I'm now at a point where I'm a bit over it. Like for a guy who's meant to be a defensive coach. Our defense has gotten worse every year. And I know it's only five games into a bad sample size, but either he's not coaching in a way which his players are understanding it, or his players understand and just don't give a crap and aren't doing what he tells them to do. So something has to change. Either he needs to go, okay, we're going to give up on this zone. We're going to play man on man for a month. New guys are going to learn the basics of defensive football. Or he's going to go, do you want actually Darcy and Jai or Dylan and McGrath and Ridley or Redmond take a couple of weeks in the VFL because you're not living up to it. And I need to set an example. But I think I'm now at a point now where I'm, I'm a bit like you. I'm looking at truck going, okay, so honeymoon's over. What have you got? And I was thinking about it when I heard Nick Dal Santo said, say what you just said, right? And I think, well, what's the move? Like, we don't have enough tools in our forward line to sacrifice one to maybe send Laverde forward for a different look. Tabin is killing us as it is. 
you know, maybe you throw Perkins in the middle, but I think he was coming under a bit of a sort of, okay, an illness cloud, which, you know, why is he playing if he's not fit enough to run through the midfield? And he can only play deep forward. Um, well, that makes sense. So what what's the move? But again, maybe that's another critique of his coaching is that his team selection doesn't give him enough flexibility to be able to make those sorts of moves, whereas other clubs seem to be able to do it. I just don't think we have enough aid. Uh, this is going to be really brutal. I just don't think we have enough AFL standard players on our list. And so the players that we do have are extremely limited and they can't play multiple positions and that limits your versatility. But that's supposedly a question for another day. But I do agree with you that it was sort of weird that he didn't try something. You know, Hobbs went into the centre circle late in the game, but the game was sort of cooked by that point and it really didn't make a difference. So we'd like to see something sooner, I suppose. Yeah, you're right. There is a lack of versatility amongst the players. And to be honest, it's a little bit amusing because I think if we do reflect back on the preseason, yourself and Rowan Conley and, and of course I did as well, all sort of said that Essendon's finally starting to get some depth and four or five games in and it's been exposed. But we'll turn now to the Collingwood game, Anzac Day. So, yeah. so, sorry, just on that. Look, we are missing quite a few players. We're missing, you know, Langford. We're missing Snelling. And there's a few guys out with Merit sort of Stringer. Stringer yeah. Merritt, Stringer. So, like, you add those four guys in and you take out the bottom four guys in that team. We're probably a better team. But what happened today wasn't talent-based. But we're, we've, we've talked about that. No, yeah. And I suppose the, the problem is is that depth is meant to be able to at least partially cover that. And I don't think ours does sure. at the moment. So, yeah. so if, we, if we do look ahead to Collingwood, of course, the Anzac Day game, it's it's a big day for the Eston Football Club. It's a big day for Collingwood for all kinds of reasons, not just on the field, all the off-field stuff that, that we do as well. And the club has already sent me multiple emails about the uh, Anzac Day jumper, which I'm sure has got nothing to do with the fact that they want more of my money. I did laugh. At the fact, <laughs> I did laugh at the fact that they sent out that. Oh, you're in that. You're in the. You're a member. You're in the draw for the hundred and fifty thousand dollars that we're giving away. Oh, by the way, spend another fifty bucks and we'll get you another entry into the into the draw. I mean, honestly. I'll admit, I did. Uh, I did read that and go, yeah. You very. If only our players are as good at getting after the ball as the club is as getting after their supporters' money, <laughs> we'd be a much better football club. But <laughs> Kane Baldwin's one. I think you're right. If Harrison Jones isn't right to go, Kane Baldwin has to come in. He did kick five today, and he looked extremely promising in the VFL. I'd potentially even look at maybe if they decide not to bring in Brian, and I'll be buggered if I don't know if I know why yeah. they don't. <laughs> I mean, again, he dominated the VFL, had 44 hitouts, 12 touches, four marks, three tackles. You know, he, he was great around the uh, the contest today. If they don't bring him in, then, then maybe you bring in Baldwin and Jones just to give us some extra height because we are seriously lacking up forward. The other player, and I know we've only just dropped him, but I mean, Tex Mangani was pretty exciting today. Two goals, three. He, you know, he had 13 touches. He also laid four tackles. He looked a lot better than he ever did at AFL level. Is the VFL his peak at the moment? Do we leave him there or do we bring him back up straight away? I'd be tempted to see what he can do on an Anzac day in front of a massive crowd because I'd, I'm going to walk back from my comments on Tipper last week. After watching him today, I agree with you. I don't think he's anywhere near ready for the AFL and bringing him in would be a massive mistake. But um, at the same time, I could very easily see us doing that this week. <laughs> Look, on the text thing, well, I'll talk to, the, I'll talk to the tools in a second. With the text thing, I think the AFL game's too quick for him. He had two disposals and three disposals in his two games like the vfl is probably a good level for him i think one thing i, I will say from a from a technical side of text is he loses his feet a lot 
for a small forward whose adv- best advantage is his speed. But I'd be giving him a couple games of AFL level to get his hands on the pill a bit more often than he will at AFL level. I'm not sure at AFL level what he gives us more than us forward options at the moment. He will likely develop into more than that, but that's just more at the moment. Yeah, if we don't, we need to bring in two tools. So we've lost one in Phillips. We need to bring in two. Now, whether those two are Jones and Baldwin, and that would allow right to relief ruck or we bring in Brian and Baldwin or Brian and Jones. I don't really, well, I do care, but that's more sort of Sophie's choice there, but we do need an extra. And because when you think about Collingwood's midfield and when you, like, if you, if you don't run two ways against Collingwood midfield, if you give to you give Pendlebury, you give all those sorts of guys free run to the center of the ground, it is going to be a lot worse than 50 points as a margin and you know their ruckman they've got you know a top three ruckman in the game in Brady Grundy and they've got a probably the best relief ruckman in the game in Darcy Cameron um as a second you know ruck forward um so we're going to need two genuine rucks I think to combat that and so I'll be bringing Brian and probably Baldwin just from a structural point of view so you're right in that we definitely need to bring in two and, and I actually do think that Brian and Baldwin is probably the pick of the two to bring in tall wise if we are going to bring somebody in down back to give us a bit more height I suppose unfortunately Zerk Thatcher who I still don't think he's done a lot wrong probably needs to come out Zerk Thatcher and Laverde are much of muchness for mine do you, do you find I feel like they take the same opponent Whereas I feel like Stuart takes the, the slightly taller, uh, bulkier guy. But, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, anyway, what were you saying? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think you're right. I do think that Jake Thatcher and, and Laverde are fairly similar in their play. I just think Laverde's probably got better disposal by hand. He's a little bit more secure with yep. ball in hand. He's able to read that flight just a little bit better than Zerk Thatcher. I mean, I think Zerk very much needs to have his opponent lead him to the ball and then he can punch it away and that's great. And he's very much a traditional fullback. But at the moment, we don't have room for a player like that in the side yep. alongside Jaden. So, yeah, I'd probably be bringing in, as you said earlier, Brand or, or, or even Reed. I'd love to see Reed get another crack because we did throw him to the Wolves last, last year for his debut game. Yes, we did. And he's, he didn't disgrace himself. So it'd be great to see how he goes against a spud like Mason Cox, who, having said that, will probably turn up and kick four goals on Anzac Day because because why not? We'll play him into form. And and you did mention Brody Brody Grundy as well. Brody Grundy has been horribly out of form as well. Um, you know, he was pretty average against what I think is not a great ruck combination in Oscar McInerney and Darcy Fort on Thursday night when they on the Easter Thursday game that they played. Uh, and he hasn't been in great form. So again, you know, watch him just turn up and we'll play him in a form as well at the moment. And it's very defeatist attitude from me, but I just don't see, I don't see a lot of positives at the moment. It's incredibly frustrating because I understand and I, and I stand by my comments that this year is all about, and I don't want to use the word, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's all about the learnings because it really is. We are still a young side and we were never going to win the flag this year, but just the no. lack of effort today deflated me. It's, you know, because you look at it and you go, okay, the game's against Geelong. As you said, we all thought that was an aberration. We wrote that off. The game against Brisbane, Melbourne, well, you know, they're belted teams. So we looked at that and went, you know, we, we stuck with them. Maybe we weren't so bad. The game against Adelaide, they beat Richmond. So again, geez, we beat Adelaide. Maybe they're not as bad as what we thought. And then we turn up today and put that absolute shit heap of a performance in that second half. Yeah. 
It's just, yeah, it's just deflating yeah. me. And, and look, I apologize to the listeners because it's not fun listening to two blokes basically bag the side out for 40 minutes, which to a degree we've done. I think it's been constructive a little bit, but it's also, there has been a fair bit of ranting going on here, Chris. Um, it's catharsis for everyone. But, it is. But yeah, I just want to add, like we said the other thing, and I made the point when we had the podcast with Rowan that, this year was about learning about players. We have a lot of players on our list that we just don't know and perform that we don't know. Are these guys long-term players? Performances like today, you know, we learn something about them. Okay, when the heat's on, your toes turned up. Next situation that's like this, what are you going to do? Now, the jury's out. And quick question to you are, you, are you dropping any of the four starting midfielders being, you know, Parish Cordwell, Shield, or McGrath on today, or are you giving them a chance to redeem themselves? The problem is, I don't think you can drop them because I just don't know who else comes in. I mean, Hobbs can go in there, but that's, you know, put Hobbs in against Pendlebury side bottom to go at Taylor Adams on an Anzac day is a massive ask. It's a huge, it's a huge ask. And yeah. Okay, throw him to the Wolves maybe and have a crack. But I just don't see anybody else that can come in. If Merritt was playing and you could have, you know, one... Because I look at the midfield and go, okay, so you've got the three starting midfielders, then you've got one bloke who's going to... Who you know will run through there as a change. Uh, outside of that, we don't really have anybody else that can go in there at the moment at the coalface that I think is... is going to be anywhere near good enough um, against Collingwood's midfield, which is, which, you know, their midfield's not brilliant, but it's not, you know, it's not the Pendlebury and side bottom of old, but it's still a very good side. So, so no, I don't think you could drop any of the, any of those guys at the moment, because I mean, apart from putting Hobbs and Perkins in there, which is, oh, maybe we do that, but I just don't think as a supporter base, that we're going to be satisfied with what we see if that happens, because I and I, no. and, I do, and I do think that selections, as much as it comes down to sending a message, selections do come down about appeasing supporters. And whether or not AFL clubs admit it or not, and they'll say they don't, they'll say they ignore the external noise. They absolutely don't. And I think if we put our youngsters into that midfield on Anzac Day and get torched, there will be people coming for Truck's head a lot more vehemently than they are at the moment. Um, and, as, a good point. and as a result, I just don't see us doing that. But look, my, my final tip for the game, I think we'll see a better effort than we saw in the second half. I sure as hell hope we do, because I don't know if we can get much worse. Oh, look, I don't think we can get much worse, but I still think Collingwood probably four to five goals. But what's your tip, Chris? You, you can give us your tip and then end us for the night. I've got Collingwood by three goals. I don't think it's going to be a huge margin. I think Collingwood probably the better outfit at this point. Just quickly, favourite Anzac Day memory. Mine is... I won't go the obvious one, um, which uh, you might go with, which is a Zaharakis goal. But last year, Tipper kicking, I think, four. And, you know, when we beat Collingwood, it's the first time we'd beaten Collingwood for a while. I remember I've enjoyed that game last year more than I enjoyed, I think, any other sort of regular season game from last year. Look, I'm not going to go the obvious one, but I am going to go one from that game. And there's a guy listening to this podcast right now who's driving his car, and he knows exactly what I'm about to say is my favourite Anzac moment. And that is good old Ricky Dyson from the boundary line in the wet against Collingwood. (laughs) Much more under... That goal he kicked is so far... It should get mentioned with the Zaharakis goal. The Zaharakis goal was huge, and you know, under pressure, he kicked it. But yeah, he kicked it from he kicked it from what forty meters on a slight angle, and it directly in front. Ricky Dyson kicked away a soaking, heavy, wet ball from forty five meters out in the boundary line, and it did not even deviate. Never looked like uh, missing. Unbelievable. Uh, I still have nightmares of Leroy Jetta fumbling fifteen meters out directly in front with with what a minute left in the game and just uh 
Oh man, what a game that was! I'll, what I'll just, a, you I'll, could... yeah. I'll look, I'll just leave leave I'll leave the podcast with this point, which I've made re- regularly about Lee Rogetta. The last five minutes of that game summed up his career perfectly. He kicked a goal <laughs> and looked amazing. He then made a tackle and should have got a holding the ball decision. It didn't go his way 15 metres out directly in front, which he wouldn't have missed. And then he had the chance to win the game and stuffed it up. It was just perfect. It was the oh-so-close for Leroy Jetta. He looked at like a million dollars one second. He was <laughs> robbed the next. And then he looked absolute shit out the, the third. It was the summary of his career in about five minutes. But that will do us this evening, Grizz. It has been, a, it has been cathartic, as you said. It's been a bit of a rant and we've had a little bit of a smile at the end of the podcast to try and lighten the mood but hopefully this time next week we'll have a we'll be able to have a good chat about the the famous win against all odds on anzac day yeah we're not without a chance but we'll need a better effort today but thanks for having me